We've seen over the weeks how Paul was writing to a group of people that had become so successful in missional living that the gospel was spreading uh, from community to community, from household, extended family to extended uh, family. Uh, and the thing about mission is that it evokes in us an assumption that it involves a change of geography. If you think, for example, about the word missionary, we think in terms of someone leaving a location to go to a different location in order to fulfill that role, that capability. Or if we talk about going on mission, we might talk about, uh, for a short period, leaving our, our current sets of circumstances to enter a new set of circumstances in order to do mission. In fact, we even capture that phrase sometimes in, in churches if the church has a mission or we are going on mission together. But what we've been noting in this series is that Paul is reaffirming again and again that the mission is not somewhere that you go to, the mission is somewhere where you already find yourselves. And of all the verses in Ephesians, He's going to drive that home in these verses that we have this morning. The call to live it, to live the life in Christ, not out there or over there, but right where you are. The missional call to live the life in Christ in your closest sets of relationships, living where we are, husband and wife, children and parents slaves and masters, living missionally, not somewhere else, but where God has already placed me. It was for them perhaps more obvious than it is for us, because their family, their extended family, which would have included their business partners, like masters and slaves, you would have the, the man and wife perhaps of the house, the, the, the uh, brother of the man and his family and their children, the masters and slaves of the whole household. So often that grouping of husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves and masters that formed the, an extended family unit was the church. They didn't leave that unit to go to the church or to be the church as those people, as that family, they were the church. In sport, you get more points if you win away than you do if you win at home. Playing at home, uh, theoretically, although you might question that at Portman Road sometimes, but playing at home, theoretically, gives you uh, an advantage, a home advantage. I wonder though whether these verses are written from a different perspective. That to win at home is the real win. To win at home is the real win. And maybe our tendency sometimes is to sacrifice something of what it might mean to win at home in order to win away is an illusion or something that the gospel would challenge in us. So Paul, having talked about what it means to live in the light, remember all those things we looked at last week, immediately launches in to applying it to the closer sets of relationships. The life in Christ needs to make a difference right where 
we are in those core relationships. The life in Christ needs to make a difference in my marriage, in my family, with my immediate set of friendships. Uh, we're fully aware we're all in different contexts. In my, whatever the equivalent of my, my master or my slave might be in today's context, whether that be in work or part of an extended family set of relationships. Christ needs to make a difference in those core sets of belongings. Now, we're all too aware, and rightly so, that for each one of us here, our circumstances vary widely. We reflect a huge breadth of different experiences, and we find ourselves this morning in a whole host of different situations. So we need to apply what uh, God's saying to us this morning to our context, and you'll need to interpret what I'm saying. Uh, through the lens of your, your current context. But there is a key, I think, that unlocks all of this for us, whatever relational context we find ourselves in. And it comes to us at verse 21, right at the beginning. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those last two words, for Christ. What's going to unfold in these verses is for Paul again and again to define these central sets of relationships in terms of our belonging to Christ. So, for example, wives, verse 22, submit to your husbands, not for any old reason, not randomly, but as to the Lord. Submit to your husband for Christ's sake, for Christ's purpose. As to the Lord, think of your marriage and your husband in the context of your relationship with Christ. As a wife, I'm not a wife, that's sort of metaphorical, that's helping you think about it. As a wife, am I for Christ in this relationship? If you're engaged, or if you're dating, or if you're reflecting on what kind of person you'd like to date or be engaged to, is this relationship that I'm looking for, in it am I for Christ? The same expectation of husbands in verse 25. Husbands love your wives, not randomly for any reason or just because it's a good idea, but do it just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Just as Christ, in order of Christ, in the reflection of Christ, in the honour of Christ, so husbands love your wives. So as a husband, is Christ the source the identity, the the focus, the model of my love for my wife. And if I'm dating, do I relate to my girlfriend or to my fiancé in that way? Is this relationship for Christ? We can repeat the same observation uh, for children and parents. Children obey your parents I noticed that uh, uh, Andrew put good emphasis on that, and rightly so in his reading. Uh, obey your parents. Uh, uh, it's more of a vain hope than a present. Re- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, obey your, not for Andrew, I just mean for all of us. Uh, obey your parents. Why? In the Lord. This is not some random thing. This is because we're in Christ together. Obey your parents. And there's no age limit on that, is there, incidentally? So think not necessarily of young children, although that's part of this. But but what does it mean for you as an adult, even as an older adult, to honour, obey your parents? 
in the Lord, for Christ, for his purpose. May Christ be the guiding presence in how you relate to your parents. Honour your father and mother because that's how God's called you to live. Is Christ the motivator? Is Christ what undergirds it? And so as children and uh, young people, with the challenge of honouring and obeying your parents, sometimes uh, we need to step back. What's this all about? This is about my worship and my devotion to Christ. This is what it means to live for him in my family to honour my mother and father. And also now a particular responsibility for fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is about Christ. It's of the Lord. Uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children. It's a shame it says that, because it's jolly good sport, I've discovered. <laughs> Uh, It's really unfortunate that it's spelt out as clearly as that in God's word. Uh, Fathers, let the teaching of your children be all around the instruction of the Lord. Remember in the Jewish context, Paul was a Jew, uh, immersed in the Old Testament. The father's instruction of their children was very hands-on, characterized by uh, a life, a whole life discipleship of, of being engaged with your children. And then even as an adult, your, your, your child would stand at your father's shoulder for over a year sometimes, just watching, just observing, being trained up in the instruction of the Lord. And so Paul is echoing those verses in Deuteronomy about impress the commands, the law of the Lord on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what you're going to see is you go out of the house. What you're going to see is you come back into the house. What are you going to talk about at your meal table? What are you going to share in as you walk along the road? The Bible places the discipleship of our children and young people firmly within the home. Firmly within the home. It doesn't matter how good the kids' work is at any church. Discipleship really will happen in our homes. Recent studies have been really, really challenging to churches to think about this. Recent studies have shown that the overwhelming influence on a child and young person, in terms of coming to faith, is their parents. By a mile, you can have a brilliant youth ministry and a brilliant kids' ministry, and we're blessed enormously in this church with both our youth and children's ministry, but it will never be enough for our kids. And it's rooted right in the home. And it's why many churches have been engaging now so much, you'll hear the phrase, uh, a, a family's ministry. What's that about? It's about empowering families to do the work of ministry, the work of discipleship in the home, and not expect that we can achieve it uh, in church or in some other way. Are we teaching our children to pray because they see us pray, really pray? 
Are we teaching our children to be passionate about the Bible because they see that we are passionate about the Bible? I don't know whether you saw that picture of the Bible that went around Facebook in a viral kind of way a few weeks ago with a, with a father's scribble all over the Bible like this was his treasured possession. Is making the point of, of how that Bible spoke volumes to his children about the priority that his father gave to the Word of God. Are we engaging with them about that? Are we teaching them to listen to God and to hear what the Father is saying to them. It's really hard, isn't it? Sometimes we say to our children, in the midst of, of some of the decisions they're trying to make, go to your bedroom, spend five minutes and listen to what you think Father God is saying. Now, I hate it when someone does that to me, and they hate it when we do that to them. But it's really important, isn't it? For our children to learn to listen to the Father. Uh, And we have to model it in the way that we talk about how we hear God speak, the way that we expect them to hear God speak in the midst of their situations. And that's not easy. And that's a lifelong challenge for all of us. Encouraged by Eli. Remember Eli, the priest, the old man, and Samuel wakes up because he hears God calling his voice, and he goes into Eli saying, you called me, and Eli says, no, I didn't, and then it happens again, then it happens again. And Eli realizes that God's speaking to Samuel. And instead of doing what we might instinctively do is try and fix it for young Samuel, try and listen to God for him, Eli sent Samuel back to bed and said to Samuel, you've just got to say, I'm listening, Lord. I'm listening, Lord, to raise him up, to listen, to hear God speak. So are we seeing that it's all about Christ? In our relationships, in our home, in our marriage, in our home, in our core sets of relationships. Now, I know it's not hugely popular, But it's why the Bible is consistent, Old Testament and New, about if you're a Christian, finding a Christian to share your life with. So, so important. Because without that, all of these things are hugely, if not impossibly, challenged. These are deep, deep issues for us. And we need to pray for strong Christian marriages. But we also need to really pray and love and support those for whatever reason find themselves now in a marriage where that faith is not shared. That's really hard. And we need to be mindful of that as a Christian community. It's why we need to be in community together to help and support people in those really difficult moments. And so the link goes on about being in Christ, away now from parents and and children to work relationships or uh, other primary relationships. Remember, this master-slave thing was probably a lot closer in terms of relationship than you might be with your boss, or if you are the boss, those who uh, work for you. And you might be glad about that or not. But the principle is that as you extend out from your core group of relationships, the next circle of influence, those relationships are also what? They're for Christ. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would, what? Obey Christ. And then the link comes a lot clearer in verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favour for when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, this is for Christ, you are for Christ in this relationship, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve therefore wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. 
amazingly radical statement to a Roman empire where masters and slaves was the order of the day and a slave was nothing more than your property. And Paul is writing these radical words. And that's the point. You need to get the beat of what's going on in these verses. A couple of things are true. And one of the things that's true about these verses is that Paul moves from saying something that you might expect to something that would be unexpected. So, for example, wives submit to your husbands kind of would have been expected in that culture, although, to be fair, Paul has already completely redefined it because of the previous verse about us all needing to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But nevertheless, in that context, the idea of a wife's submission would have been more familiar. So that's what was expected. But then he moves from that to something that would be totally unexpected. And that's that husbands, you ought to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and was nailed to a cross for her. And so uh, that's the beat of how it would have been read. Something that was expected, moving to something unexpected. A reality, something that they kind of understood and related to, into something that was actually very radical indeed. And then you see it again in the next section. Children obey your parents in that Greek culture sorry, Roman culture, that would have been expected, that would have been the order of the day, the, the master of the house would have uh, treated you as a child, as, uh, as if you were something that he effectively owned, so that was radical, quite different actually from Paul's Jewish tradition, where fathers behaved in quite a different way, huge strength of the Jewish tradition in, in, in that regard. But nevertheless, moving from something that was expected to something quite unexpected, fathers... Give yourselves to your children in terms of getting alongside them in training and instruction in the Lord. That was not part of the Roman culture in that way. And so you get the idea that he's moving from something that they can relate to and taking them towards something which is much greater in terms of a radical call to discipleship. We move from the expected with slaves. What are slaves supposed to do there? Of course they're supposed to obey their masters. That's what slaves do although he's given it an interesting twist about doing it for the Lord. But then this very radical thing, this totally unexpected phrase, from the reality to the radical, and masters do what? Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. No favoritism. Understanding that the slave who is your property that you bought, that you could treat however you liked, who almost had no rights in your family or in the empire, to treat your slave as if he stands by your side before God. The force of this is huge in that culture. It's lost on us in so many ways. So following Christ, Paul is saying, is, is to take the, the, the reality and move it to something that's much more radical. To take what's expected, but to move towards the unexpected as we invite Christ to invade, to be central to these core relationships in our lives. It's a, it's a move not towards radicalism, but it is a move towards a radically new way of living. 
In what way are we radical for Christ in our marriages, in our homes, with people that are around us in our extended families, may they be blood family or or sets of friendships and relationships? In what ways are we radical for Christ in the way that we work? How different are we from the prevailing culture? Does your marriage look distinctly different from the marriages of our culture because it's for Christ? Is the way you're bringing up your children at times starkly different from the way other children in your children's class or study group are being treated because you are for Christ. That's a hard gig, isn't it? For Christ. In the workplace, do those that work around you, be they above you or beneath you or beside you, know that uh, in the way that you relate and live and have your being, that they are alongside you before a living God? And the second thing, I mean, move from the expected to the unexpected. It moves from the, the normal uh, and places the burden of responsibility on the man in each of these contexts. It reads like this, the wives, yes, but the husbands. The children, yes, but the fathers. The slaves, yes, but the masters. The burden of responsibility here is on the men, which probably helps us understand the verse that we perhaps struggle with here, uh, of verse 23, about male headship. And you might want to insert the word responsibility as one of the best ways to understand it. Men, you're responsible, Paul's saying, to set so much of the agenda here. You find more details about male headship elsewhere. It has nothing to do with superiority. Nothing to do with different roles. Well, it is, sorry, everything to do with different roles. But nothing to do with with an, an unequal sense of togetherness before God. Nothing to do with value. Nothing to do with capability. But everything to do with complementing one another. So when you think about those headship verses, I think the word responsibility really captures so much of what the Bible is teaching. And, and it's a call for men to take responsibility as, as husbands. That's what Paul was essentially saying. A little bit about the wife, then to the husband. Take responsibility as a husband in your home. Uh, uh, children, and take responsibility as a father in your home. Uh, slaves, take responsibility as a master in your environment. And as we're taught in Genesis, one of the, the key factors of the fall will mean that, that the rhythm of male and female will be marred and scarred and turned upside down. It talks about women uh, seeking control and men being passive. And that's not the only distortion that we see, but it's one that we see very commonly. And so what does it mean to work all this out in our homes and in our families? It means to be for Christ, to look to him. And all this stuff is not just important that our families work well, but it's important for the mission of God. Because as we've noted in these these verses through Ephesians, is that the mission went from household to household. 
And if a household wasn't carrying the mission of God, the mission would stop. And so it was households that were alive with the purpose of Christ that became the conduits through which the gospel would spread. And maybe we've turned uh, 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 the the heads on it too much and we've emphasised leaving our families to come and do mission through the church rather than doing mission through our families, which is the church, as we're seeing here. And a few weeks ago, I talked about how we skirt on the edges of family because we know that it's so hard. We know that it brings us a lot of pain and sadness because our families and our relationships are not what we long for them to be. And they cause us a lot of distress and a lot of heartache. And so you might remember a few weeks ago, we're talking about a vision of creating a, a, a new kind of family where we could connect and support one another in a new kind of way. So where does this uh, fall for you this morning? Where's the, where's the challenge for you? Where do I need to invite Christ in afresh? Where do I need to respond this morning? What's, what's God tugging at me about in these verses? That's the key question. What's God saying to me? And what am I then going to do uh, about it? If you're both Christians and you're married, what does it mean for you to bring Christ more fully into your marriage? Maybe back to the centre of it all. Maybe you used to pray together, but now you don't. Maybe you used to read the Bible together and share what you felt God was speaking to you from his word, but now you don't. Maybe you've never done those things. Maybe as a couple you used to be really intentional about reaching out to others around you. You were, you were together sharing in mission, knowing who you were reaching, knowing who you were praying for. But then the busyness and the demands and things have slipped and it's all got lost. If your marriage is for Christ, what does it mean, as Paul says, for us to be reflecting the, the mystery of Christ and the wonder of his love? So what mission are you on as a Christian couple? What uh, ways are you supporting each other in those individual missions that God is calling you both to? Obviously, if you're married to someone uh, who doesn't yet share your Christian faith and values, then there's a totally different set of questions that God might be asking you to reflect upon. How do I be Christ in this relationship? I'm not suggesting for a moment that there are simple and easy answers. It might just be that being brave enough to begin to ask the question brings a perspective that is helpful. It's a real challenge. How do I be Christ-like? Might that mean laying aside some of my Christian service to invest more at home? May it mean setting aside some Christian activity in order to engage more fully in that relationship? How do I serve my spouse better because I'm longing to be in Christ in this relationship. It may mean talking more about your faith. Uh, And yet, instantly, uh, I I know how we'll feel inside that, that talking about faith in our marriages, when one's a believer and one isn't, just causes friction and difficulty. So it becomes a subject that we, that we can't talk about much anymore because it's hard and painful. 
So we need to be really real about that. So how do we, how do we help us as Christians in our marriages to just to be open about our faith? Because that's just being open about the person that's God, God's made me to be. How do we create different conversations that are not focused about church and you're at church too much and I wish you wouldn't go to that so often or whatever it might be? How do we get the conversations away from I believe in God and you don't and you go around the same old loop? What does it mean to be Christ? And it might mean something different to each one of us, but it's a really important question for us to ask. And the whole of heaven's with us. Is it not as we ask that question, don't you think? Yeah, heaven's on our side in all of these situations. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that it's easy, but the perspective might help. What does it mean to invite Christ into the relationship that you have with your parents, however old they are? What does it mean uh, for you as a young person to honour your parents when you think they're totally demented? <laughs> it doesn't get any better. Uh, what does it mean to, to, to say, for Jesus' sake, I, I, I'm working this through? Perhaps for parents that have loved us all our lives, perhaps for parents that we know haven't loved us in the way that we crave. What, what does it mean to honour them as they come to the end of their lives? What does it mean for us, excuse me, with our children, whether they be five or 55? What does it mean for me to be Christ in that relationship? What's the question the Holy Spirit would cause you to ask? Holy Spirit, would you come and help us? We desperately need your help. We can't fix these things humanly, they're beyond us. Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you speak to us your words of comfort? Because you are the great comforter. And yet you are the Spirit that wants above all to bring honour and glory to Jesus. And so would you awaken in us the challenge to work it out, to live for Christ in the sets of relationships that we currently have. To work it out what it means to look for Christ in the sets of relationships that we long to have but don't yet. Holy Spirit, would you come in the quietness? Where is the challenge for me today? Where do I need to invite Christ by his Holy Spirit to live in me afresh this morning?